from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Red Raiders Football Podcast brought to you each week by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. I'm uh, AJ Media Sports Writer Don Williams, and joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr. Coming to you uh, second half of the week after uh, Texas Tech defeated West Virginia on Saturday, 34 to 27, at Jones AT&T Stadium. Red Raiders uh, have uh, back-to-back home games this week. It's Texas Tech against Oklahoma. 7 p.m. start time out at the stadium. It'll be televised uh, in prime time on Fox and uh, Carlos Red Raiders uh, with the national with, with the national TV spotlight on them. They want to make mm-hmm. a good showing and at least they have a little bit to build off of coming off of uh, last week. Well, let me just say this, Don. First off, I'm glad you're warm because it is freezing right now in Lubbock. As everyone well knows, the weather's been pretty cold. So it'll be interesting to see if that stays within the weekend. But um, certainly the other thing was good is uh, it was a home game last week. So that means that you get to kind of watch all the players that kind of warm up and stuff instead of me. So certainly it was a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, you were able to kind of be the eyes in the sky that I normally uh, usually kind of take for granted. But certainly uh, the, the one thing that can be taken away from last weekend is Texas Tech was able to grit out uh, a victory against West Virginia because for what uh, a lot of people, at least that I've seen on Twitter and some message boards and some other things have said, should you have beaten West Virginia by a little bit more than a touchdown? Probably, but you know what? There were a lot of guys that were missing. TJ Vasher, as you mentioned, Kashawn Carter, Dalton Rigdon, the list kind of keeps going. And then not only that, but during the contest, the game, you lost Sir Roderick Thompson. And then, of course, you lost Xavier White, your top two running backs. So the fact that not only one, you were able to sort of sustain, or if, if you want to use that word, sustain the same type of level of play that you've had so far with Henry Columbia, a new starting quarterback, that being against one of the top defenses in the country, was able to be very efficient, had a touchdown, no interceptions, didn't fumble the ball, didn't do anything to put the offense in a bad way, and then you were still able to find some freshmen, uh, that being Miles Price, who led you in receiving, and then Taj Brooks later on in the contest, which we'll get into with this uh, game against West Virginia last weekend. We're able to close out the game. I thought that was a, a big for Texas Tech, but I think the most important factor, at least from watching this game, was the fact that it wasn't necessarily the offense that kind of won you this game. Yeah, you can usually see Texas Tech scoring 50 points, in previous years, but this one, the Texas Tech defense not only created a turnover, got the fumble returned by Zach McPherson for the second week in a row, 56-yard touchdown after a fumble, uh, forced and then recovered. And then not only that, but then you got the defense to kind of close out the game, not not the way that probably Matt Wells wanted to, but the fact that they were able to get off the field was, was uh, kind of a big, at least confidence boost in, in my mind. Yeah, well, you know, the, <clears throat> I think big, biggest key for Texas Tech and I uh, shared this with uh, a media person in, in Oklahoma this week. Was uh, Tech is used to losing these games if it's tied or or a one score game going into yep. quarter time after time after time. The last year and a half, seen Texas Tech uh, not make the plays you need to on offense or give up the plays on defense, and that didn't 
happen on Saturday nights is that the defense gives you the lead and the offense was fighting with a short stick at that point. But the defense then uh, gets off the field, forces a punt, gives it back to the offense. And the offense had five, a little over five minutes left in the game and managed to run, get two first downs, run four and a half minutes off the clock. Um, so that by the time West Virginia got the ball back, there were only 42 seconds left. They did throw, were able to throw into the end zone a Hail Mary, but uh, that falls incomplete. And the Red Raiders finally put to rest, at least for one week, the idea that they cannot win a close game because uh, I know I've repeated this a few times in the last couple of weeks, but uh, Matt Wells in his first 15 games at Tech had the lead six times, you know, six times at the end of the third quarter or later and managed to lose games in that setting. And I think it was certainly the fans expected bad things to happen. And I would contend that it'd be almost impossible for the players not to have that in the back of their minds as many times as they have lost games in the fourth quarter of these last two seasons. But they were able to uh, kind of slay that dragon Again, at least for one week. Yeah. Is West Virginia uh, world beaters? No, West Virginia is not world mm-hmm. beaters. But you, you got to start somewhere. And um, and they did. Uh, we might talk for a moment about Henry Columbia. I thought yeah. I saw in Henry Columbia, I think we saw the guy that he was advertised as. You know, the two mm-hmm. things that uh, we expected to see from him was a guy who would throw the ball accurately and then who would uh, make a few things happen with his feet. We saw both of those things. as tw- what, 22 out of 28 the other night. And there were one of those misses was a dropped pass. And um, he is um, – uh, people have made a lot – I started to say, that 22 out of 28 now makes him one, I believe the number is 115 out of 151 for his career. 76% completion percentage for his career. That's you mm-hmm. it's pretty he good. Certainly, he can certainly live with that. And then, of course, uh, the second part of uh, what you expect from Henry Columbia's guy who makes a few plays with his feet. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not going to take it 80 on you. But uh, did see him uh, rush. 11 times the other night, I think. I broke them down individually. Yeah, I had a couple first downs, too, on some of those. I was going to say, six of those are scrambles, plays where he's either flushed or scrambled out of the pocket. Um, and there were one play got 14 yards, another play got 13 yards. Um, and he's one of those guys that I've kind of described as he just kind of makes defense coordinators grow. You know, he, he's the kind of guy that you can get him in third and eight and – uh, defense has the receivers covered, and Columbia is mobile enough that he can go run for 10 and and make a first down where the defense is just like, oh, man, I had him. And mm-hmm. this guy goes and uh, just gets to the sticks. He did that a couple times against West Virginia. So um, so that was, uh, I guess, a, a pretty, pretty solid first game for him, I think, uh, under the circumstances with uh, – you know, first college start, all eyes are on you. You're playing a defense that has a good pass rush. I don't, mm-hmm. Again, I don't know that West Virginia is, is world beaters, but I do, but I do mm-hmm. think there's some legit talent on that team, particularly in the defensive front seven with, um, you know, the Steel Brothers get all the attention. But there's two or three other guys in that front seven for West Virginia that, that are 
playmakers as well. And a couple of young guys who are going to especially in the future in the few years. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely no. And and I think uh, the other point too to bring up, Don, is uh, in terms of West Virginia not being world beaters. Let's just kind of break it down too for Texas Tech. It's not necessarily a situation where they've kind of gotten many wins against the Big Twelve over the last couple of years. So I think any win against the Big Twelve opponent, whether it's a West Virginia, whether you think it's a world beater or not still a victory over a big 12 team is big because then that one brings you confidence. And number two, as you alluded to now, the players don't necessarily have that in the back of their mind that, Oh, we could potentially lose this game. Now they know, okay, we can make a play in this sort of situation. We can win this game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, they had a six game losing streak in big 12 games and they were, yep. had lost 13 of their previous 15 conference games. So mm-hmm. any, any win counts, especially, if if it's not Kansas, any win against a Big Twelve opponent is is something significant as a step uh, in the right direction. So I guess now, now can they, I was going to say now can now can you uh, extend that and uh, somehow pull out a uh, win against Oklahoma this week? Fourteen. And of course, that's and of course that's going to be the big question, as you mentioned, fourteen point underdog. Uh, before we kind of let go of West Virginia, I know you kind of provided your thoughts on Columbia, what you saw from the game. Um, in terms of what Texas Tech was able to bring out with their younger talent, sort of the future is now, as I kind of mentioned to you in the press box. Miles Price, certainly a very fabulous player. Taj Brooks, a fabulous player. Um, I think, it, is it fair to say now that the situation has arised to say that this recruiting class that Matt Wells and company got in their first uh, recruiting classes, at least living up to somewhat expectations to where they are playing at least to a a decent level where they are making some plays for this Red Raider football team in the present. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, let me see. Let me let me get the roster here from me. They, you know, they had no they had no choice the other night. Well, correct. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And all the, but when all those goes when all those guys go out, it's like, okay, freshman, <laughs> you're up. You got to do something. Yeah. But. Well, uh, to to your to your point though yeah mm-hmm. and I, um, I, I think you ex- we expected to see the those receivers uh, you know Miles Price has kind of done what you know through the first few games kind of done what he was he's kind of been what he is built to be guy who mm-hmm. uh, can make people miss Jalen Polk has kind of been a steady uh, consistent receiver really since opening night we hadn't seen much of Funchy yet I think he's one of those guys who uh, he was on the field, if I'm not mistaken. He just didn't he was on the field. I believe, yeah. Yeah, he has gotten into the last couple of games. He was out uh, some in August, and and the early part of the wasn't suited up the first night against uh, Houston Baptist. But yeah, you talk about those guys, Taj Brooks, with what he did, um, and of course, guys gotten really as much attention as anybody from that freshman classes. Caleb Rogers, the offensive tackle, who's a guy who was not a not considered a real high-profile recruit, but mm-hmm. has, uh, but has you know looks like a guy who's going to be an anchor on your offensive line the rest of his career. Kind of like uh, you know Terrence Steele and Travis Bruffy. Steele in particular was a guy that came in here as a fre- as a freshman and began starting games very early on. A guy like that, he's going to start a lot because they just anytime his name comes up, they they gush about him. I tell you, a guy that I think is going to be kind of a staple. As well, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention yet, and he hasn't been on the field just a ton. But the little bit that we have seen him, I really think 
Philip Bleedy, the defensive tackle mm-hmm. from Bertalis, to me looks like a guy who's 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 really a real deal kind of guy who's going to be. Uh, I, he, he's not like Broderick Washington, kind of a different body type and that sort of thing. But he's another guy that I think could be. He can certainly fill gaps. I mean, he, he, what, what, yeah, and he has, and he has, uh, and he's got some quickness to him too. I mean, you know, six four, two hundred seventy five pound kid who can move. And I was going to say, you know, he's he's not Broderick Washington. He's a different body type, mm-hmm. Broderick. But Broderick was in the starting lineup from the first game for sophomore year on. I think Bleedy's the kind of kid who could wind up being, you know, three year starter for you. Maybe I think he has that kind of physical ability uh, in the little bit of playing time that he's gotten that we've seen him. So I guess with that in mind, I know uh, everyone. Is at least uh, you would think the fan base is at least appeased that Texas Tech did get a victory last weekend. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention before we switch over to Oklahoma as we get to the halfway point of this 25-minute podcast? Um, I guess let's wait. We switch it over to the Sooners. Well, I guess uh, first off, uh, obviously, you know, I, sp- I spoke to David Collier and Ryan King, both uh, terrors to both of us, uh, most games. Oklahoma guys, David Collier and Ryan King are. Which, which coincidentally, it's funny you mentioned that. I texted them if they were circling this podcast on Monday uh, on the schedule, and yes, they were. So certainly they're interested to see how Oklahoma does. I think you and I have a, a somewhat I- interesting idea, and you may be surprised to think how I think this will turn out, but... I believe Texas Tech is in a position, and again, this is with a huge if. Granted, I've gone out on a limb with some of this when I was talking with uh, uh, the the franchise uh, earlier today, and of course, I'll speak to uh, Chisholm Holland later on uh, in terms of the Oklahoma. So we'll go a little bit more in depth with some of the some of the playmakers, some of the guys that may be coming off suspension, may be playing, may not be playing due to some other deals. So. Be sure to listen to that. But when I was talking with uh, Ryan and David Collier, who have both exclusively watched Oklahoma this season, as of course you do because you have an AP Top 25 vote, the one thing that really stood out to both of them was Spencer Rattler, for better or worse. Very talented quarterback, as Matt Wells said, has the great arm talent, can can flick his wrist, and all of a sudden it's going down 50 to 60 yards. But the other Big thing is he's a still a young a, a young buck, so to speak, compared to most years where you look at uh, Kyler Murray, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals, had a year in the system. You look at Baker Mayfield, he had a year in the system. And then even to even recent times where you look at Jalen Hurts, he was an experienced hand that was a transfer from Alabama to where Lincoln Riley, maybe obviously he, he's a good quarterback's coach, but certainly you don't have to really – kind of uh, instill some confidence in a guy that's been in your system or a guy that's been at Alabama where winning is kind of a habit. He's already established winning. He knows how to do it. Now he's got a redshirt uh, freshman in Spencer Rattler. Yes, he has the five-star arm. He's got all the accolades, but now he's really kind of being thrown into the fire, Don. And I think it's – I think the, the, the one big game that at least I recall of where you could kind of see how things can go well and bad for him would be against Texas where he was actually sat – on the bench for a little bit so we could kind of learn that, Hey, you can't turn the ball over because this is going to put us in a bad spot. Yeah. I, you know, as it pertains to Spencer Rattler against Texas tech, uh, I, I'm fearful for the Red Raiders that they have their hands full, may have more than they can handle. Um, and I know Rattler has had, you know, I guess a three pick game 
and he co-leads the Big 12 with five interceptions. Yep. But he is so talented, has such a good arm. And, um, you know, Texas Tech has uh, done better this year at not giving up the big pass play. They're still near the bottom of the FBS and pass defense, giving up passing Mm -hmm. yards. But they haven't been burned by so many, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70-yard pass plays to the extent they were last year. And this is going to be the litmus test to see if they can keep that up because uh, Marvin Mims from Oklahoma is kind of the next uh, big thing, I think, for the Sooners. That's my impression. You're talking to a guy who was – you know, set Texas high school mm-hmm. career season and career records for receiving yards at Frisco Lone Star and hasn't missed a beat with uh, the Sooners from what I can tell this year. He's averaging 17 yards a catch. He co-leads the Big 12 in uh, touchdown catches with six. And uh, if they're, you know, one of the Red Raiders' many bugaboos over the last few years has been uh, giving up the deep ball, particularly when they face the Sooners. They've just been overmatched. And I think the combination of uh, Rattler with Marvin Mims and with uh, Charleston Rambo, Rambo burned them for a couple of big plays last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you keep those guys under wraps? Uh, In the past, they have not been able to uh, keep receivers like that from going off on them. Um, and so I think Saturday will be an opportunity. They'll have to prove themselves. They'll have to prove they can do it. Can they Can they uh, keep Marvin Mims from catching a 40, 50, 60-yard touchdown pass and Rattler from uh, lighting them up? Because I think Rattler's only going to get better. You know, he's throwing some picks, but the, the, the kid's got a ton of ability, and he's only going to get better. And uh, this, this is probably a team that you – even with uh, even with your uh, personnel missing with COVID, this is probably a better team. Uh, it would have been better to play them as early as possible in the season before they kind of got uh, got a few things figured out. I think that's a fair assessment, but I think in, in, at least in this sense, and then of course here's the big caveat that I kind of alluded to. If Texas Tech is healthy with the wide receivers that we mentioned before, that being Vasher, Carter, and Rigdon, if they're able to be in the in the lineup, I certainly think that helps Texas Tech's offense. Now, granted, it will be huge to see if Texas Tech can do the same that you were talking about that Rattler is prone to do, which is look for the deep ball. Can Henry Columbia throw a deep ball? He had a 44-yarder uh, last weekend against uh, West Virginia. I certainly think if they're able to extend or elongate the field, I think that would certainly be a huge deal for Texas Tech because as uh, we've seen from Oklahoma's defense, especially the defensive backs, not that great. Uh, if you really want to kind of compare them, they're kind of like what Texas Tech was a couple years ago where it's like you throw the ball and either they're going to commit a penalty, that being a pass interference, or they're going to just let that happen. And I think that's going to be an interesting factor here for Texas Tech where you have all these really tall, great catch radius type wide receivers like a Jalen Polk, a Loke Fungi. Granted, they haven't had much playing time. If T.J. Vasher is able to play, I think that would certainly help you in the red zone. But if he's able to extend or really kind of pop the top off that defense, I think that could be big for Texas Tech against – I know people will use the term undersized, but I think uh, just the fact that 
Texas Tech has a, at least three or four wide receivers that are taller than their defensive backs. I think that certainly gives you a little bit of an advantage when you do throw the ball up and not necessarily have to get it on target. You just have to get it within the range of a TJ Vasher or someone else that will be available on Saturday. And again, that is the caveat. So that is how I feel things could go on offense in terms of. Well, and I, I, let's jump in here and say, uh, no, we don't really have defensive inf- information on the, all those guys who missed last week. Correct. So I, would, I would say all those guys that, that were out last week, I'd say are, are questionable. We're talking about mm-hmm. Vasher, we're talking about Rigdon, Mannix. Um, uh, Sir Roderick Thompson, Xavier White. Sir Roderick Thompson, Xavier White, Nick McCann on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Keyshawn Carter, all those yes. guys. Uh, questionable. And if you have a big chunk of those guys out for a second game in a row, it's you're gonna have a hard time have a hard time winning this game. Which I agree with. And and uh, to go to Spencer Rattler now, uh, when I look at this Oklahoma team, and feel free to jump in or disagree with me, but other than Spencer Rattler, yes, Marvin Mims had his big game last weekend, got the Big Twelve accolades like one would if you have 132 yards and two touchdowns, but. After him, there's not really much in terms of the wide receiver, Don. Now, again well, – Again, I'll, I'll disagree with you there because Mims, yeah. I think, is big time. And, yeah, he's already he's tied for the conference lead with six touchdown passes. Yeah. And, I think, and I think Rambo is uh, – you know, Rambo's numbers aren't great this year. He's a guy that's, that's done it in the past and, and, and hurt you last year with two big plays. But I, I, I will – so I'll disagree with you on a couple of guys, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you where I, where, I, where I would agree with you, though, is uh, they certainly lack the star power at running back and in the yeah. line. That, that's the thing that, that makes Oklahoma so so hard to handle most. Now, granted, they don't have Kennedy Brooks who opted out earlier this week, this yeah, yeah. season two. So obviously if they had him, I would certainly turn my turn my way that I'm talking right now, but they do not. This is, yeah, but this is a – and you're right, but this is a very – Ordinary rushing game by Oklahoma standards. Yeah. That's the thing because usually, usually there were years there where everybody that they lined up on offense, you know, seven, they had seven or eight guys on offense that were all American or all conference caliber. Mm-hmm. This year, outside of Creed Humphrey at center, not uh, much. The yeah. offensive line, not not really big names, and the running backs, like I said, I mean, they're sixth in the conference in in uh, in rushing, led by T.J. Pledger. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little. That's a little different uh, than trying to chase down some of those guys that they've had uh, in, in recent years. Some of those guys like Trey Sermon and um, number twenty-five that went to the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm getting terrible. With Joe that. Mixon. Joe Mixon, sir. That would be Joe Mixon. Yeah, this team doesn't doesn't seem right now to have a, have a Joe Mixon or a Trey Sermon, which mm-hmm. it'll help the Red Raiders. Well, I guess on, on those terms, uh, again, I, I will give you this argument as well. Marvin Mims, a fantastic player, not taking that away from him. I'm just saying in terms of the overall wide receiver talent that you've normally seen from Oklahoma, not there. But because of that, that makes him a little bit more, I would say, dangerous because you don't know who they're going to pass it to other than maybe Mims. So certainly if you double Mims, as you mentioned, Charleston Rambo could burn you like he did last year. Theo Weiss, another guy that's upcoming and could play very well. He only has 18 catches, 232 yards. I certainly could see him have a big game. And there's Austin Stogner, who's a tight end. 
he's your second leading receiver. So again, let, let, yeah, and throw and throw in one throw in one more name on there, Jeremiah Hall. Those guys yep. are kind of full, fullback tied in, H back mm-hmm. types. Hall has three touchdown passes as well. Yeah, three touchdown okay. catches, I should say. Yeah, and like I said, I mean they, they they are certainly more balanced than normally seen when you it's it's pretty crazy when you think of like the the talent that is now in the NFL. CD Lamb uh, obviously was on their team last year, and now all of a sudden you don't have CD Lamb. It's almost uh, kind of like what Texas Tech had, where you lose an Antoine West. You know, granted uh, Oklahoma may have reloaded a little bit uh, more in that sense, but I, I think that the one thing that you can look at is if you can get Spencer Rattler uncomfortable in the pocket, which Texas Tech has shown a little bit that it can do. It's got seven sacks in, in the amount of games that they've played this year, but they're going to have to do a lot better of a job and maybe not necessarily maybe blitz as much as maybe Keith Patterson has done so far, but I certainly think showing some different looks instead of maybe three down guys like they've done prior, certainly they're going to mix things up. But I think if they're able to get into that backfield, make sure that Spencer Rattler's kind of running left and right if need be, but keep them in the pocket. I think that's what – Texas Tech needs to do because, as you mentioned, Don, if Spencer Rattler does get a little bit out of the pocket, he is apt to run the football, and that's something that he has shown. He's their third-leading rusher behind Pledger, who you mentioned, and Seth McGowan as well, who both have over 200 yards rushing. So he is a guy that can run the ball, hasn't run it much, I think as long as like 23 this this year, which is kind of like what, what you mentioned with Columbia. Like he's not going to run it that much because he's looking for that big play because he's got that big play arm. But uh, I certainly think if Texas Tech is able to to get him a little bit rattled, for lack of a better term, I think that puts him in a good position to win. And again, the caveat, if Texas Tech has their playmakers that they normally would have, I think they certainly have an edge in terms of playmakers on the offensive end and should be able to move – on this Oklahoma defense. And I think for this last point, since we're at 24 minutes now, uh, not the defensive old for Oklahoma where you got Gallimore. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the other, uh, the other linebacker, Kenneth Murray, if I'm not mistaken from last yeah. year, lose oh. a lot of, you lose a lot of really, really good guys on your defense. So I think that's one thing that Texas Tech has to take advantage of is um, try and get your running backs when you can, but I certainly think it's going to be difficult against that defensive line. Uh, which has well, yeah, it, it doesn't have Gallimore and all them, but certainly they are playing m- much better than what people probably expected them to. Well, they're leading the conference in rushing defense last year. Last yes. week, West Virginia was leading the conference in rushing defense. Now, yeah, Oklahoma's leading their conference in rushing defense. Giving there up you go, the, Texas Tech ran, ran, ran all over them. <laughs> yeah, giving up only ninety-two yards a game. So, yeah. Yeah, so certainly I think that's something to watch. Um, Anything else you're looking for in terms of, uh, okay, this is going to put Texas Tech in a good spot or this is going to put Oklahoma in a good spot this weekend? Uh, Nothing I can think of that I haven't covered already. That's interesting. Need to force force some turnovers. Need uh, Austin McNamara to kick some 87-yard punts when you're backed up deep in your own end. I meant to ask you this question because I was lazy and I didn't look it up because I just like looking it up and you know my little game is, Don, did you watch this happen? Did you watch the previous school record punt happen? That was in 1945, so I missed that one. Okay, so you missed that one. Okay. I was just curious. An 85-yarder by R.W. Moyers against West Texas State. I'm about to say the the, the wind was probably blowing a little bit better because you didn't have the bowl at that point. So probably there there was plenty of wind through there. 
Was that in Lubbock or it could have been in Canyon? I'm, you know, that's, you know, that's a really good question. I, again, I, I, I'm not sure if that was a home game or a home game. I did not look it up. So that's my fault. I probably should have prepared like I normally don't do. So that's my fault. But uh, other than that, Don, appreciate the time, man. It uh, looks like uh, we are at 25 minutes. I actually paid attention. So. And uh, I was going to say, uh, seven, at 7 p.m. Saturday night, John Stadium Tech hosting Oklahoma. And uh, looking up on the uh, National Weather Service forecast right now, game time temperature is supposed to be 63 degrees on Saturday night, dipping down to 54 by 10 p.m. Uh, with a little bit of a north wind. So probably – uh, you can take a jacket, but it's going to be – should be much, much better conditions as been in Lubbock uh, the first couple of days this week where it was uh, temperature in the 20s, uh, freezing rain. Thunder snow. Slick roads, thunder snow, you name it. It's been uh, – it's we quickly progressed from uh, fall – progressed from fall to winter Sunday night uh, through, uh, through Wednesday. We're kind of going through all the seasons, man. I mean, it was literally snowing this morning from what I remember. And now I saw the sun come out. It was almost like it went from winter to, to spring. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's supposed to blow out of here and be be better this weekend and be okay for game time, which uh, we will both be there Saturday night uh, providing coverage um, going in, leading into the game and then uh, during and afterward as well as always. So, um we appreciate everybody for uh, listening in with us again this week. Uh, a reminder, if you want to send in question, questions or conversation topics, you can reach us on Twitter uh, at AJ underscore Don Williams or at CM Silva Jr. So, uh, uh, again, uh, you've been listening to uh, the Red Raiders football podcast brought to you each week by the AJ Sports Department. For Carlos, I'm Don. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Welcome, everyone, to the second portion of the Red Raider podcast. I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, sports editor for the newspaper. And, of course, as you know, in the second portion, we always talk to a person from the opposing team that's been covering them or following them throughout the season. And for this segment, we've got Chisholm Holland, the host of 107.7, the franchise in Oklahoma City, where, obviously, you can listen to all of your Sooner sports. So, appreciate it. Chisholm, how you doing, man? Dude, I'm surviving. We have a big ice storm in Oklahoma City right now. So I'm actually hanging out at a uh, buddy's house because I'm without power for about the next week. So I was about to say, what I can. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, we, we've got some ice here in Lubbock. I know we talked about it on the radio show yesterday. We we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, I know Oklahoma obviously has some indoor facilities and kind of all that. I don't know if you all have been able to ask Lincoln about weather or anything, but do you kind of feel like that could be a, a – a factor in this contest if it's cold or rainy or anything like that for, for the suitors? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma by and large under Lincoln Riley outside of the first year that he was in Norman uh, has been 65, 45 or 65, 35 run to pass. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's countered to what everyone assumes about Lincoln. If you don't follow the team, but you go look at their rushing attempts as opposed to their passing attempts, they are a run first heavy team. Uh, and they have not been able to do that this year. They really have not, uh, been able to find consistent identity in the run game. Uh, so that being said, if they're forced to lean more on the run due to the weather, yeah, I think that kind of plays into Texas Tech's hands because that's taking out what Oklahoma has been the most explosive at this year, which is you know Spencer Rattler being able to kind of sling it all over the yard, especially downfield. You mentioned his name, and he's someone that obviously everyone wants to kind of know about, Spencer Rattler. And one of the things that really stood out to me when kind of looking at 
some of the numbers and kind of all that stuff. But when you look at Spencer Rattler, he's a homegrown kid that was recruited by Lincoln Riley. Typically, the last couple of years, you've seen Jalen Hurts. You've seen other guys that have kind of been brought in. Kyler Murray, another one that were experienced guys, but uh, they, they obviously were able to kind of already had their trials and tribulations, so to speak, on the field, whereas Spencer Rattler is kind of dealing with all this throughout the season. I guess how have you kind of seen his ups and downs so far, and, and how would you assess his uh, play last weekend? Yeah, I mean, the ups and downs is the easiest way to put it for sure. He's, he's a redshirt freshman quarterback, and you're exactly right. Uh, Lincoln Riley has benefited from having – uh, Baker Mayfield in the program for a year, but not starting, uh, but having started at Texas Tech prior. Uh, Kyler Murray in the program for a year, but not starting, but starting at Texas A&M prior. And then obviously Jalen Hurts come in, comes in from Alabama and just immediately starts uh, as the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. This is the first time that OU's kind of had to go through growing pains in this offense, especially at the quarterback position. And Spencer Rattler is one of those guys that and not saying he's this caliber of player, but as far as the mentality of like a Brett Favre, of a Patrick Mahomes, where he's going for the big play every time. When they snap the ball and it's a passing down, his first read might be the five-yard slant, but he's looking at the 25-yard down-out route because he likes to make the big play. Uh, and that's got him in trouble. I mean, if you go back and look at the Iowa State game early on, especially in the first half, he was forcing balls downfield that were either coming up as incompletions or turnovers. Uh, you look at what he did against Texas in the first half, it was – trying to extend plays, you know, trying to force his way out of sacks and, you know, fumbling the ball and throwing it into double coverage. That's just who he is. And so when things are going poorly, it's, you know, like the Longhorns three weeks ago where he gets benched. If it's going well, it's like what we saw last week. And last week is the best that you can ask from Spencer Rattler as a redshirt freshman, which is 13 completions over 300 yards passing. He was chunking the ball downfield uh, like we hadn't seen all year. Like they were really adamant about using the deep passing game and his arm strength to great success with Marvin Mims on the outside. So when that's working, it's working. But what I've learned so far for covering this covering Spencer Rattler is he's not one of those guys that has good games and bad games. He has good quarters and bad quarters. And it, it's like a light switch. Uh, and so in the side of one game, uh, you know, Kansas, every single one they played this year outside of Missouri State, there has been, wow, Spencer looks great. Oh, my gosh, he, he's, he's forcing it. He's, he's, he's coughing the ball up. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. So it's not like I'm going to say, oh, Spencer Rattler is going to be ice and nails in Texas Tech. I, he will be great for two and a half quarters, and he will have a quarter where he is, you know, turnover prone. And it's just if the Red Raiders can take advantage of that. And that's every opponent for OU this year. Are they going to be able to take advantage of Spencer's young mistakes? Obviously, kind of go to your point, just uh, making sure that everyone kind of knows that's Chisholm Holland, host of 107.7, the franchise in Oklahoma City. Get your Oklahoma Sooners information from him and everyone else on that radio station as well. You spoke about Spencer Rattler before. You mentioned his name before. Marvin Mims, a freshman wide receiver, had his best game uh, last weekend, 132 yards, two touchdowns. And then after that, I think that's really the other thing that really stood out to me. One, you've got a quarterback that's kind of realizing, okay, I'm being thrown into the fire this year, doesn't necessarily have some experience to lean on. But then the other thing, too, is for a typical Oklahoma team, now granted one of them was due to opting out earlier in the season, but you don't see the star power from each of those uh, offensive playmakers that, that you normally see. Yeah, Marvin Mims kind of stepped up last year, uh, last weekend, pardon me, but then you got Austin Sogner and then kind of a mess of other wide receivers after that. Your running backs, other than Kennedy Brooks, who again opted out, as I alluded to, don't really have anyone there. And then you got Spencer Rattler, who, yes, does have the uh, credentials, but uh, hasn't played up to maybe what, what you would like. So I guess in terms of the playmakers, what have you seen from Marvin Mims and who are some other guys that you've seen at least kind of 
step into that situation where they know that they have to have guys to make good plays now. Yeah, and so Oklahoma, since I've been covering the team over the past five years, have always had that one go-to guy. Uh, might be the outside, might be a wide receiver like C.D. Lamb or uh, D.D. Westbrook or Sterling Shepard, or it could be a running back like Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon, so on and so forth. And to your point, Oklahoma, by and large, through so far this season, hasn't had their go-to best player by a mile that they're trying to force-feed the ball. They, they haven't had it. Uh, now, those guys are on campus. Uh, don't get it. Don't get confused. Jaden Hazelwood tore his ACL before the year started. He was supposed to be coming in as a sophomore, and he was going to be every bit as good as what C.D. Lamb was last year. I mean, Jaden Hazelwood is the real deal, the absolute real deal, but he's going to be joining the team later on in the season. Obviously not going to be a factor here with Texas Tech. And the other guys are Mondre Stevenson, uh, a running back who everyone last year, even though Kenny Brooks was the starter, you go back and watch Ramondre Stevenson run the ball, it's pretty clear. He was a true freshman, but he's the guy. Like, he is that next level of NFL running back that OU's going to put into the put into the league. You know, people say not the same playing style, but as far as upside potential, he's the Joe Mixon. And he might be there in Lubbock on Saturday. Uh, he was serving a six-game suspension uh, that was levied before the LSU bowl game last year. So that was one game, and now they've gone through the first five. There's been a little bit of called into question of whether Ramondre is going to be able to play or not based off Lincoln Riley's press conference uh, comments on Monday afternoon. But everything that we're hearing – says Ramondre is not in question. Ramondre Stevenson is going to play. And if I was a Texas Tech fan, I, that would make me concerned. Because like I said, uh, you know, TJ Pledger, who's been the lead running back so far this year, he's a fine kid. Uh, he, he's a fine running back. He's, you know, okay. Seth McGowan, a true freshman, as explosive as he looks, he's a true freshman. Uh, and I don't know really what his upside is long-term. Ramondre Stevenson is an NFL caliber running back. And he's rejoining the team. So I think uh, just – Outside of hoping that he has Russ, I mean, that would be my number one concern as far as the skill position is that guy is the real deal. And as far as the outside, you're right, Marvin Mims, true freshman wide receiver. He's the deep play threat. He's the big explosive guy. He's been making OU media pull out their hair all year because he was dominant in first halves of ball games, almost all of them outside of Texas, dominant. And then wasn't getting targeted in the second half. He had three targets in the second half heading into the TCU game. And he was clearly their best receiver. And we're all just looking at each other going, maybe throw it to the best receiver on the team in the second half. That might help. Uh, but he's a guy on the outside. And the other one is Theo Weiss. Theo Weiss is someone who came up big in the Texas Tech – or sorry, the Texas Longhorns game uh, in the Red River Showdown. He was able to get those third downs and third downs and sevens. Uh, that was helpful. And so – all of those guys, along with Austin Stogner, the big tight end, I would say are in the dangerous category, somewhere close. And that's what makes this OU team so different. And so you can spin that as a negative, that they don't have that ace in their hole, number one receiver on the outside. Or you can spin it as a positive, like Gary Patterson did after the loss on sat last Saturday of, we didn't really know who to guard. We didn't know who to take away because OU has three receivers, including Charleston Rambo that they kind of all use the same amount along with the tight end that they use just as much as those guys. So who do we take away? They all are kind of the same player in that regard. So that could be a benefit. It could be a negative. I guess it just depends on your outlet. But the guy I would say is the marquee player to watch is Ramondre Stevenson heading into to Saturday. So now that we've kind of gone through the Oklahoma offense in terms of obviously they've got playmakers, they just don't have anyone that's kind of been that number one guy. When you look at the defense – Certainly that's something that everyone's been wondering with, uh, with the new coordinator and kind of all that. How, how has that worked out so far with uh, the Sooners? And I guess how have you kind of seen the defense either improve or kind of have their ups and downs this season compared to last? Yeah, last year, top 35 defense after being 118th the year prior, Alex Grinch's first year on campus, giant improvement. And, mm -hmm. and 
everyone that was covering this team, now not the fans, because, you know, fans are fans, but everyone covering this team said, okay, there's going to be some regression here. They lost Murray to a first-round draft pick. They left Neville Gallimore to a third-round draft pick. Parnell Motley was a guy who went undrafted, but everyone who covered the team last year said he was the best corner by a large margin. Now he's on Tampa Bay. He made the 53-man roster. So you're losing three of your four best defensive players, and Ronnie Perkins is serving a suspension. There's, there's call for regression. Uh, if you just look at the box score, they would, it would feel like there's a large regression. Here's what I would tell you is this OU defense has actually probably been better than last year in the first three quarters of ball games. They have just imploded in fourth quarters imploded outside of TCU. They have been disastrous uh, in the last quarter of football games, which has allowed teams like Iowa state to come back from 10 point deficits, Kansas state to come back from 10 point deficits, as well as uh, Texas to come back with five minutes left down by 14. Uh, And that large part goes onto the defense. And if you're asking where the issues are, it's clear. Uh, their linebacking core, I would say, is average. They have a David Aguebu, who's a young player who I like a lot, but a pretty average linebacking core. Their defensive line, and this is going to sound asinine when I say it, because they don't have the A-plus star that Ronnie Perkins is supposed to be. He's not on this defensive line, and we don't expect him to play on Saturday, despite mm-hmm. the fact that his suspension is over. Uh, lots of question marks around that. But their defensive line, as far as a depth perspective, probably the best since Gerald McCoy was on campus in 1999. I mean, I, I know how insane that sounds. But they are eight, nine guys deep on the defensive line. And so it is an A-minus for OU, especially with how they've recruited lately, which is not good on that side of the ball. Uh, and so they've really overperformed. The F-minus-minus-minus is the secondary. They're terrible in stretches. Like, they are awful. Uh, they get beat deep. They have blown coverages. They have missed tackles. And they have penalties, and lots of them. Uh, one of our insiders, Brady Trantham, uh, went through and looked at every penalty that OU's defense has had this year. Uh, I think he, they've had 31 penalties. 17 of those are in the secondary. 15 of those gave the team a first down. So, I mean, that just – that sums it up, right? Like, that's where their issues are. A lot of that comes from Bookie Radley-Hiles, the slot corner who was a five-star prospect out of California who has not met expectations and has kind of driven this Sooner fan base crazy in large stretches. And Trey Brown is a local kid out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who is now going into his fourth year as a starter. And he's kind of the same player he was four years ago. Uh, and so that's really where this comes down to. The, the, the frustrating part is we've seen true freshmen and redshirt freshmen who Alex Grinch has brought in, uh, like Woody Washington and guys like that, who Jaden Davis, who have made big plays and looked the part. But for whatever reason, Alex Grinch has been really skeptical just to turn the reins over to the young kids. Uh, so if this was Texas Tech with Alan Bowman, where I thought they were going to throw the ball 50 times, I'd be way more terrified of this matchup because those corners – aren't great. And those safeties aren't great. The secondary is the biggest weakness. So if if they can find a way and Matt Wells and this team can find a way to take advantage of that. I mean, the red Raiders will stand a chance. I mean, that's what Iowa state did. They forced, you know, passes to tight ends because the corners for OU are so short and under six foot tall. And you'll see the graphic a thousand times during the broadcast. They just keep using it over and over (laughs) to drive OU fans crazy. If they can find a way to do that, use their height, it'll be an advantage. And the other thing is what Texas did, which is we're going to throw the ball downfield and you're going to commit a pass interference penalty because you can't keep up. And it worked. And so when teams have targeted the secondary for OU, they've had a lot of success this year. Once again, that's Chisholm Holland, host of 107.7 The Franchise in Oklahoma City, talking uh, Texas Tech-Oklahoma and the matchups. You've spoken a little bit about the Oklahoma offense, a little bit about the Oklahoma defense. Now let's get a little bit about what Oklahoma has seen from Texas Tech as we kind of get into this matchup, which is set for 7 p.m. on Fox Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. So you mentioned it a little bit. If Alan Bowman was a quarterback, you'd feel 
a lot worse if you're an Oklahoma fan just because of the way the secondary is played. But I guess what have you seen from Henry Columbi, who, as Matt Wells has said, they just needed a spark on offense. And certainly he wasn't that spark from an offensive standpoint, only had 169 yards and a touchdown last week, but certainly uh, has the speed to give some defensive coordinators some some headaches because he, he doesn't have that breakaway speed, but he's got enough to where if you don't account for him, he can get those 12 to 13 yard runs that can get you a first down on third and long or something like that. So I guess what have you seen from Texas tech now that they have their new quarterback? It seems like everyone's confident in Henry Columbia and assuming that everyone is available. I know last week they had a lot of playmakers gone like a TJ Vasher. You alluded to probably they'll put his six, five or six foot six frame against all the six feet, six foot, uh, Oklahoma defenders, but if he's if he's not able to play, if Kashawn Carter's not able to play, if Dalton Riggins not able to play, I mean the the list goes on in terms of how many wide receivers were out last week. I guess what what, what have you kind of seen from Oklahoma that makes you feel like okay, this is going to put him in a good position to win against Texas Tech? Yeah, it it goes back to that defensive line. I, yeah, I, I I can't stress how great Perrion Winfrey has been, how great uh, Isaiah Thomas has been, because we weren't expecting it. That's why it's so surprising. Is coming into the year, we actually felt great about the secondary because they were returning all of the starters, and we felt terrible about the defensive line because we had no idea who was going to be starting. And it's been the opposite, which is uh, what's so funny about college football is it's always not what you expect. Uh, but when you look at what Texas Tech is going to bring to the table, it's not the same conversation, but a similar conversation, obviously, that we had last year for Oklahoma, with, last week with uh, TCU and Max Duggan, is they have a mobile quarterback who's been able to throw the ball to some success. And OU had given up a lot of rushing touchdowns to Skylar Thompson, a lot of rushing touchdowns to Sam Ellinger, and a lot of big first down conversions with his feet to Brock Purdy. And there was this narrative building of, does OU struggle with a mobile quarterback? Is, is that going to be something that the Big 12 is going to be able to take advantage of? Uh, and I've said this stat a bunch on the radio this week, but Max Duggan's longest run against Oklahoma was 36 yards. He finished the day with 18 yards total. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you do the math there, like, oh, you played pretty clean against yeah. Max Duggan uh, in that rushing game. And in by and large, it came from that defensive line. Uh, so I, I don't know what to expect out of Columbia. Uh, if he's going to be able to take advantage like Sam Ellinger would, it feels like teams have had more success with the QB run game in the goal lines uh, and short yardage situations than maybe just scrambling outside the pocket and picking up 25 yards. That We haven't really actually seen a lot of that from Oklahoma this year. Uh, it, it's going to come down, for me, if, if Columbia can come out and really test these corners and test these safeties uh, over the middle of the field with his arm and make him respect that, then we'll start seeing Sam Ellinger big chunk plays like we saw in the Red River showdown late in an overtime uh, because OU was having to play two safeties over the top because they were worried about the deep ball because they kept giving up pass interference penalties and defensive holdings. So they had to adjust their defense. If Texas Tech can throw the ball well enough early to make Alex Grinch adjust, then those running lanes will be there. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. I, I don't know what the Texas Tech offensive line situation is going to be like, mm-hmm. uh, but if they have a weak spot, OU will find a way to target that weak spot over and over and over again. And that's what they did against TCU, obviously uh, going into that ball game. The only starter they had in, uh, for the Horn Frogs and the offensive line was their right guard. And he got hurt in the first quarter. And then the rest of the game, Alex Grinch blitzed at that right guard almost every snap. Uh, and so I expect some similarities there. Uh, it's it, the advantage is going to have to be somewhere on that receivers. And if you're what you're saying about the Texas tech wide receiving core is true. And they're going to be missing uh, some of those guys. Uh, that we expect to make some big plays. 
I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But there is a method to madness, and Kansas State showed it. Iowa State showed it. Texas showed it. It's just if you're able to take advantage. Once again, that's Chisholm Holland, host of 107.7 The Franchise in Oklahoma City. You can follow him on Chisholm Holland on Twitter, at Chisholm, as in Chisholm Trail and Holland. Appreciate uh, all the info, Chisholm, and uh, hopefully you get to stay warm and uh, hopefully the power gets back over there because uh, the same thing's happening here in Lubbock. We're having a bunch of thunder sleet and thunder rain and whatever else you can kind of mix together. For sure. Uh, if anybody has a chainsaw that I could borrow, let me know. But uh, we'll be all right, man. We're blessed up here in Oklahoma City, so we'll be okay, man. Thanks, Thanks as always. Once again, that's Chisholm Holland from 107.7 The Franchise. I'm Carlos Silva from the Love the Line Journal, sports editor for the newspaper. Appreciate you all listening to another edition of the Red Raider podcast. We'll talk to you next week.